No, awesome. Things are awesome. good. Things are good. Thanks for uh, the invite for sure. Yeah. Looking forward to this. Um, so just to kind of go over what we'll talk about or what you want to talk about. I know you left a bunch of things on the, on the kind of onboarding thing, talking about sales process, talking about sales process, especially when it's longer term. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there anything specific you want to, you want to make sure I touch on or? No, I guess just, um, you know, like I could talk from different angles, right? So like mm-hmm. what I do for my customers is kind of like in line with, probably what the the topic is, right? Like to figure out what it is as far as, you know, hey, my customers don't know what their sales cycle is. They may think it is, but then actuality, what is it? Um, And what I do to try to figure that out um, and help them go down that road. If it's more of like, we're talking to similar folks like ourselves, then I could go that route, you know what I mean? So I think, I mean, the audience is kind of split between the two. But I find that people that people in the same position as us also like to know like what you do for the client side. Like, how do you find sure. that time to monetization, and why is that important? Because what I've come to realize working on Sake Metrics is that people like you and me are kind of at the top echelons of this, and there's <laughs> and I I would never think that. Like, I'm right. like, no, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm still learning. There's a lot I still got to do. There are people that are better than, me, but ninety percent of people can't even understand a why you would do that and b how you would do it right so i yeah, think absolutely. talking about stuff like that and kind of that sales velocity and time to monetization i think would be really interesting cool yeah we could definitely dive into that i could geek awesome. out as with the best of them on that stuff awesome awesome and then how any way specifically you want me to introduce you or um no, not really. I mean, my Twitter <laughs> profile does it nicely, you know, or whatever I put in there. I don't even remember what I put in there, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, okay. It could have been just my standard bio thing. You know, that's fine. Yeah. And then you mainly work with um, which types of online businesses? Product, um, uh, info product, e-commerce, any? It's a, a mix of both. I call them all e-commerce because they're all selling something yeah. uh, digitally. So, uh, you know, I have a some nonprofits. I have info product, which are coaches and yeah. uh, consultants, but I also have, you know, your standard e-commerce, you know, I'm shipping a product to you. Yep. Awesome. And then just to confirm last name, it's Resnick, correct? Yep. Perfect. Awesome. All right. So here's how we'll do it. I will ring a bell. We'll get started and then I'll introduce you. Uh, and it's a free form conversation. Uh, I'll ask a question to kind of start us off, kind of talk about what you do, what types of people you work with, blah, blah, blah. And then just talk until we get tired and, or we hit that hour mark and then we'll kind of close it up. Sounds good. All right. Awesome. Let's do this thing. Boom, boom, boom. All right. Welcome again to Data Beats Opinion. I'm your host, Keith. And today I am talking with Jason Resnick. Uh, Jason is similar to what I uh, used to do in the consulting agency, helps online businesses, info products, e-commerce, get more customers, repeat customers, and really build out that conversion funnel. Um, He's an expert in the space. He knows a lot about all this stuff. And uh, I'm really excited to have you on this call. So Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. I'm, I'm excited to be here, Keith. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So a little bit of background. How did you kind of get started with all this? Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> this is, this is going to show my age a little bit, but um, 
you know, I, I always loved e-commerce. Like I, I literally grew up on the internet, meaning like when I went to, when I started college, there was no internet. And mm -hmm. by the time I finished, the internet was there, but it was not like what it is today right. by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so I found in college, essentially like I went to college for computer science and I was like, I hate this. Like the fact that I have to like <laughs> bottle up code, run an executable, deploy, like mm -hmm. wait however long for the thing to compile and then see that I missed a semicolon is ridiculous. Right. And so when I started there and I literally cut my economics class and learned how to write HTML through that in mm -hmm. computer lab, really geeky um, but my economics class was a three-hour class and it was long distance learning so it was the most boring <laughs> tv show that you could ever imagine right i learned code there and that was where i first dove into the web and as i got jobs you know in the corporate space i worked for you know fortune 50 companies small boutique firms uh, but really where i found my sweet spot as far as the love for e-commerce was Right around 2000, I worked for a, uh, a consultant firm that they were, uh, historically, they were an SAP shop. Mm -hmm. um, but because of the times, everybody, there was startups everywhere and they right. needed coders. And so I was brought in there because I had learned a specific language in my former, one of my former jobs mm -hmm. called Tickle. Um, yep. And I, I didn't want to do anything like that. <laughs> that was not interesting. And uh, I got a job there and I was writing a lot of Java code, um, Ruby code and building out e-commerce sites. Mm -hmm. And where a lot of developers ran from e-commerce because they didn't want to deal with it, I was like, oh, this is an awesome problem. I love solving the problem. And at that time, the, the problem was getting somebody to pull out their wallet, put their credit card in. Yep. now we don't even no one trusted it. it no yeah. like people marketing today don't have any like no. it was so difficult to get someone to put their credit card online was insane yeah. yeah i mean people would say their their credit card over the phone not a problem but mm -hmm. they wouldn't put it into a form that was secure and everything else like it it was like a genuine problem and if yeah. you could bridge that gap um and by earning trust and we'll dive in because that's pretty much going to be the mantra here um, by earning trust at that point, then you can get and win. And yeah. that's what Amazon, you know, uh, now Amazon is what Amazon is because of that. Um, but I loved it. And just me as a, as a human and my own personal interests, I love human behavior. So there was like this synergy there where I was like, okay, I'm solving interesting problem about human behavior to mm -hmm. do technical things. And so I just, took that and ran with it. Like, like as soon as that ball was handed to me, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go until somebody tackles me. And so, uh, you know, I, through my career, I, I always was doing e-commerce. That's what I was hired at other jobs for. Um, but then in 2010, when I struck out and I started my own business full time, left the, you know, the cubicle farms, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, that's, that's where I felt. Like I was doing Java development, I was doing Ruby on Rails development, custom yeah. PHP work, Magento work, WooCommerce work, and so on and so forth. Really helping other businesses uh, 
get like their final 20% of their business online because a lot of these packages that they would either install or set up or whatever would get them 80% of the way there and see that there was some traction. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, okay, well, we want to integrate our, you know, our inventory system or we want to integrate our brick and mortar POS system and, you know, and so on and so forth. And so that's where, you know, in 2010, 2011, I was, you know, really diving into a lot of that. Um, and since I've really focused in on niching down and really on the WooCommerce space, because I was getting burnt out by doing all the tech, right. you know, various different techs and bouncing around and not working on a tech stack for a certain period of time. Yeah. I focused in on WooCommerce, specifically subscription and membership type sites. Um, and, you know, to this day, it's more of not doing so much custom work on the site there in that realm, but it's more of how do I meld the behavior of a, of a visitor, a customer, mm -hmm. a repeat customer through data that we have on the, the email subscriber record, right. as well as what they're doing on site and melding that together to essentially get more purchases. And, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because you kind of, you struck out on your own uh, with the, the e-commerce marketing stuff on your own about the same time I did. And back then there wasn't really the WooCommerce. There wasn't, you had to build all this stuff yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten to the point where building a system like that is no longer a high value proposition because there's so much out there. The high value proposition is a understanding what um, products are out there that will accomplish that and then how to glue them all together. Just like you're saying, it's no longer val as valuable for you to build an e-commerce platform. It's valuable for you to take WooCommerce and that visitor tracking, meld it all together so that people understand how those visitors are coming in and who's converting and who's not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the things that I noticed probably five-ish years ago, and this was with Drip, that, that email marketing platform, they had an, a, a, a robust enough API that was able to pull the subscriber record. So like what the people are clicking on, what are mm -hmm. their you know, custom fields, and what is the things that we know about them from the email world, like what behaviors they're taking, and then taking that information and sucking it on the site and then turning some things around on the site to yep. then cater to the knowledge that we know about them. And that's where I really was like, Oh, this is next level stuff. Because now if we know that they're, you know, for e-commerce customer of mine, they do hats, t-shirts, bandanas and so on and so forth. But if we know that they're really just looking at the hat stuff, well, then we just show them hat banners on the right. homepage versus all of the banners, right? And yeah. so just that sort of, you know, personalized experience brings that mom and pop back to the internet world, right? Like yeah. it, we're coming full circle, right? Like it was like, you know, you have Amazon, these big behemoths where they're just like, hey, whatever product mm -hmm. you need, we've got it. And so that while that's all great and convenient in some respects, what I think the trend is happening now is like people are like, I don't want to use Amazon because of that. Like, I want right. to support my local business or local online business. I want right. to support those. You want to support the brand. You want to support right. the people, not a conglomerate. Right. Exactly. Um, and it's interesting that you came at this from a technical side 
because and you you mentioned something really interesting there which is the the crafting of that message if someone's looking at hats we show them hats because i i feel like a lot of marketers especially with retargeting ads and things like that there's a lot of spray and pray and there's a lot of and i i see this a lot i'll go to a site to look up i'm getting retargeting ads that's awesome i sign up i'm still getting retargeting ads to sign up it's like and then i'm getting ads for different it feels weird right it's like when amazon what was the one you always see it on like Twitter and stuff. You buy a um, you buy a washing machine on Twitter or on, sorry on Amazon, and then they're like, "Would you also like to buy this washing machine?" It's like, who buys two washing machines? Like, right. yeah, put, yeah. put some put some intelligence behind this idea. Otherwise, it's just this algorithmic spray and pray that stops being effective because you're no longer. You know, I, I always say that advertisements that are interesting are no longer advertisements. We actually, right. we wait for movie trailers to come out. We love movie trailers because they are aligned with our interest. If I'm looking to buy a car, having car commercials that align with the type of car that I want is interesting to me because I want to know what's out there. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. when I just bought a washing machine and you show me an ad for a washing machine, that doesn't help. It, it just actively yeah. hurts that experience. I mean, to that, to that point last week, I even threw this out on Twitter was like, Delta, come on. You know I live in New York. Why are you giving me emails for flights to New York? Like I get you fly that down I, the street. I mean, I get the fact that I flew somewhere and then flew back to New York, but you know where I live. Like mm -hmm. just come on. Like just have some sort of semblance to, you know, like completing the circle of personalization. Like that's what bothers me sometimes about personalization. And you know, at the time of this recording, we're going on the advent of Black Friday and yep. Cyber Monday. And so our inbox are going to be <laughs> like it's obliterated with bad personalization. It's going to mm. be funny. But if you're going to do it, then you have to do the research. You have to really close the loop. You can't kind of go in and just step your toe in more so like then if you're just going to do high first name, okay, then do that. But if you're going to go to the level of like, hey, I'm going to take some of their information, like they bought a washing machine, so they must be interested in washing machines, and I'm going to repitch that. Like, okay, close the loop. Did they buy that? If they bought the washing machine, then pitch them a clothes rack. Right, the upsell, the cross. Right, like pitch them something related to that. Don't pitch them the thing that you just bought, because especially that, they're not going to buy two of them. Yep. <laughs> right, so... And I, I see that a lot. I think, you know, I, I have a similar background to yours where I started on the tech side of things, right? And I think there's something about having to design software where you have to think about those flows and that encapsulation of when someone does this, do this. Does it make sense for, and so we see a very structured progression of someone down a funnel and we're used to creating not uh, flow charts and stuff of, did someone do this? Then send them this. Did they do this? Then send them this. And having those gates there. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people either don't have the, the knowledge behind or that, um, that they just don't, they can't think through it as well, right? They don't understand the psychology of who is on their list and who's actually, that people are actually reading these. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that I do with my clients when I first, we first do an engagement is I want to know what the customer journey is. And then they go on and they say, Hey, we're doing this remarketing. We're doing this, this ad. And I said, I don't care about those stuff, that stuff we're going to get to, but your customers now, can we figure out how they became a customer and work backwards? Mm -hmm. Because that's what I want to find out. They're already paying you. So 
that you've they already got, from? you've already got the one, you know, the zero to $1 purchase, which is the hard thing. So mm -hmm. you want more of those people. Now let's reverse engineer back. Right. And so the reason why I do it that way and I have them think about this thing is so that they then understand the, the behavior of that customer. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you said before, they're, they're doing the spray and pray. Like they're just, okay, this is, we're doing Facebook and Instagram ads because that's what everybody's doing in my market. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I need to do it too. But once we know a little bit about the customers, then that spray and play, pray actually becomes like a playbook that we can then deploy out there to attract more people like people that are already paying for you. Right. So I, I like, because I start with the end in mind there, I'm completing the circle already. Yeah. Right? So I, I don't want to have this, these open loops and saying, okay, all these people are coming in from all different directions. And then, like you said, you have these if then statements, if you will, that are just lengthy and complex and like overly built out. Well, let's just start with what we know works already. And then we can start building. You can build that. out from that. And I think that's why so many people start with the spray and pray because they don't know what works. They know they have customers. They don't know where they came from. So they're trying to recreate magic. Right. And at the same time, they have those customers. And if they had the process that you walk them through, it's like, hey, here's how we find out where these people came from, what, the, what, is, what converted them from visitors into customers. If they were able to do that, they could work themselves back. But that is, it's a talent. It's a skill, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of people do not have that. Um, I think it would be very difficult for me to go into someone else's business and say, okay, here's a bunch of customers. Let's figure out where they came from, right? I can do that in my business because I've honed it over the last eight years, but to just jump into someone else's, I think it's, it, it requires real talent, but that's how you stop that spray and pray, right? That's how you start with something very targeted and understand what sends people down that, that conversion funnel. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's sometimes hard to approach that from that perspective, meaning, you know, because a lot of people are guarded, like, I'm mm -hmm. guarded about my own business. Like I know my business better than anybody else. I'm in here all day long. Right. So how is somebody else going to tell me how I got my customers? Well, I don't necessarily want to tell you how your customer, how you got your customers, your customers are going to tell you. Exactly. Right? And so for me, it's more of just opening the lines of communication saying, Hey, look, we're on the same page here. I'm not going to, I'm going to make some assumptions. I want to validate these assumptions and I'm going to validate them with actual data. And so the data that you have is your customers. Mm -hmm. The data that's up in the cloud somewhere on Facebook and profile, you know, ID, whatever. I don't, that, that, I don't know what that person is and they never gave you any money. So that's just, <laughs> that's just hypothetical money at this point in time. So I much rather focus in on what we know, mm -hmm. get that humming along. And then we turn on the faucet of ad money or whatever it is, or whatever your campaign is going to be, and then feed that engine that's already working. Right. And then how do you kind of, so going to the, the next step of once you have identified this channel of where people come from and what kind of converts them and what brings them in. What do you, how do you then walk them through that marketing funnel, especially if depending on the, the type of industry that you're working with, it's not e-commerce. It's not this, okay, someone's going to buy in the first three days. Maybe it's 14 days or 30 days or 90 days. Like how do you a bring people into that funnel and, or how do you engage them on that funnel and, B, how do you measure that and understand are these quick converters or are these long-term converters? Right. So what I always try to do 
and is find the time to first purchase. How many days are we talking about? Mm -hmm. That's your sales cycle, right? So most of the time when a customer, when I talk with a customer, they have this idea. They're like, oh, I've, you know, let's just take example, an info product coach or course creator or something of that nature. They're like, oh, I, I run a week long campaign, three, three things, three training videos, a webinar at the end, and then people convert on the back end of, of a mm -hmm. weekend, right? I'm like, okay, but that, is that really your first time? Like, you know, how long have they been on your email list before that, you know, and things right. like that. So I always try to baseline it. I try to take my best ballpark guess because they're not measuring this. Based off of what I know about the customers when they bought, because they have that data, mm -hmm. and they have the data of how long they've been on the email list, I try to give my best guess on, okay, it took them 47 days, you know, on average for you to close somebody once they come into your email. Mm -hmm. And so ha having that information then is usually eye opening to them because they're like, whoa, I didn't realize it took so long. And then they start thinking about all the math. They're like, oh, well, how much are we spending in ad money? And this is what they're buying. Okay. So now, then they get now the have a cash real flow. picture, right? Yep. And so they, so what I try to do is I try to shorten that timeline by nurturing them through email, right? Because you can do the remarketing campaigns, you could do the calls to action on the websites and things, but you're leaving the user up to actually going on those platforms to actually see those things. The email is your proactiveness into it, right? Like you're sending them an email. So now they see they're going to check their email. The whole email is dead thing to me is mind boggling. They've been saying that for 20 years now. Yeah. So. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, okay, but every time you send an email, you get money. So I, how is it dead? So for me, if you're sending an email, then you're prompting them to take some action. They cannot mm -hmm. take any action at all, but they, at least they see it and you become front of mind. So I try to build out a 30 day sequence that every client that I have, I work with them to build out a 30 day sequence, which is usually like 10 to 12 different emails mm -hmm. um, that really position, it depends on the industry, like you said, but let's just take the info, you know, course creator, uh, you know, digital product sort of industry you know, position the brand or the person as mm -hmm. an expert who knows what they do. But then we also want to lead score and do some other things that really align with the motivation of why somebody came in and right. their intent. What, what are they hoping to get out of their engagement immediately from this brand? Right. Mm -hmm. And so we do that just by understanding the customers. Why did they sign up? What, have they gotten from the brand, the person? And do you do that through surveys? Is that through based on tags that they get when they opt in? For, so if they're interested, if they opt in for, let's say, a marketing blueprint, and then they get the freelancer's guide, like we can kind of start to build out a visual of them through the tags and the actions they're taking. Absolutely. So some the thing that I found with surveys is that Yes, they work in, if the survey is well-crafted. You can't kind of come up and like, hey, we should send out a survey. Okay, so on Tuesday, we're just going to throw out a, a thing. Like That doesn't work. You, you really have to know what you're doing to, for a survey to work. Mm -hmm. So I'm more of like, hey, what pages are they looking at? What are they clicking on? What, what sort of 
and, and really it all stems from understanding what the customer is doing. Like, like you said, where did they come in from a lead magnet perspective? Uh, that's usually their hook. That's their, mm -hmm. that's their initial motivation. Like, okay. So if they pick that, that marketing, right. Okay. So if that's a marketing PDF that you're delivering to them, then can we show them more marketing content? And mm -hmm. that could shorten the time frame, right? Um, you know, I, 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 I like to sh share this sort of thing that that's with all my clients. I say, look, you could be a virtual trainer, right? And your product that you're trying to get people to sign up for is a workout routine for 20 minutes via Skype or whatever, mm -hmm. right? So that's your business. So that's what you want people to sign up. Why are you showing recipes as your lead magnet? While all of that is in the same ecosystem, you're, you're attracting the wrong type of person because they want to get healthy via food and nutrition. And they don't want to work out. So yeah. if you're wondering why you're, you're not converting on the people that are signing up and getting, you know, you're spending ads to that and all that, and why isn't anybody buying? Well, and it's not in alignment. And it's interesting because you, I've had a number of customer clients like that and they all say, well, it converts on the front end. It's like, of course it converts on the front end. People want that, but it's not converting on the back end because the people who you are bringing in, like you're saying, are not the ones who are right for your product. It doesn't matter if I get 10,000 leads who want to learn more about cars if I'm selling um, paleo drinks, right? right like right. <laughs> the, the offers are, are mismatched. But I think a lot of people think this thing converts really well and it's related to my ecosystem or my niche. So therefore, at some point, they're going to convert and it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, it, it's, it's hard pill to swallow, but when you actually lay it out with data, it's not me coming to the table saying, you know, my assumptions, this is, look right. at the numbers here. Like you get, yeah, great. So you got a hundred opt-ins yesterday to your recipe. How many, how many of those people converted into workouts today? Right. Zero. Like, because it doesn't, it's a mismatch. And so yeah. what I try to do with that sequence is really just one lead score people, because to shorten the time, if somebody's really engaged with you, I mean, you know, you and I have probably been down this road more than a handful of times when <laughs> we're forced down a funnel that mm -hmm. we're like, Oh, I just want to buy this thing. Like that's my need right now. I don't yeah. want to wait for a window to open up that I need to buy. Like that's the thing with the lead scoring is, is you do have some finite amount of time where the euphoria of the shiny object, right? Like mm -hmm. starts to, to wane. Right. So they say like, if you don't close somebody within 90 days, chances are you're not going to close them, but bar barring the industry and the product and all the right. rest of it, if the score and there's a science to it and all that, but if the score is hot where you're sending an email every other day or every three days or whatever it is, and they start clicking on one or two links and, and those links are aligned with the product and so on and so forth. And you pull them out, you, you give them what them. they want and, and boom, and they make the sale and you start to really, hone in on that. I mean, mm. I've done that with several clients and we've shortened the, the you know, the time frames drastically, like yeah. for product, you know, they were at around like nine ish days to the first purchase and we got them inside a day. Um, wow. you know, a SaaS product, he was over 40 and this was a real ballpark figure because he had no data on that. Um, but he was over 40 and we got him to nine days for right. a free trial. Right. And so those sort of things, 
matter. Yeah. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't really look at, which is they say, oh, it takes us 40 days to close a lead. And they don't realize it's not that people want to wait those 40 days, it's that they haven't really been offered a chance to convert that quickly, right? And the, um, um, the, uh, the benefit there is, and I really like what you say, and I want to re- reemphasize this because I think it's important, is measuring that velocity of engagement, especially at the beginning, and that lead scoring of, okay, people have clicked on, in the last six emails, five of these links about freelancing. They are obviously very interested. We, sh- we need to fast track them onto list because I see that we had the same thing. We had a, I think it was a 20 day funnel before the sales really started pumping in for Segmetrics. And we decided, well, what if people sign up? Let's just tell them right there. So the, our first three days are a hard pitch. And we're just mm-hmm. like, hey, we're going to give you some awesome information real quick. We're Segmetrics, A, B, C, D. You should check us out. And conversion went through the roof because all these people, they do want that information. And the people who don't, after three days, it's fine. They go on the longer um, engagement campaign. And eventually within those 90 days, they'll probably come around and they do Mm -hmm. come around. But we were pushing so much back and extending this thing to a point where they weren't excited about the product anymore. Right. right? It's like, why, why did I just ruin all this energy I have from someone who just found us and wants to, to check us out. Um, do you know, you know, Josh duty, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Fearless salary negotiation. We talked with him um, a couple of weeks ago and he said the same thing because he has negotiation funnels, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, I'm making everyone wait 14 days <laughs> to get salary negotiation for us for an interview they have tomorrow. Right. It's like, right. why am I doing that? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's what, that's when it comes down to really knowing what you're selling, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. like the case of Segmetrics or, you know, Josh's business, they, it's an immediate need. Like that Google drove them the question of, you know, like, Hey, I'm looking for this thing. How do I sign up for this thing? They are then like, they want it. Like mm-hmm. they need to buy it now, right? So some of my some of my customers are more long term. I do some nonprofits. I do you know some other businesses that have a longer sales cycle. So it's okay to assume that it's going to take fourteen days for somebody to buy because they need that warm up time. But some like don't don't overbuild something. Like see, right. like you said, like hey, first three days. Look, we're going to give you some awesome value value. Like you hang on this list, but here who we are, this is the price, this is how much it costs, you yep. know, and so on and so forth. Um, those, that's part of a, an email that I send. It's actually the fourth, fourth email in this sequence that I build out is it's a complete ask email It's mm-hmm. saying, Hey, I know we're just getting together. We're just learning about each other a little bit more. I'm excited about the opportunities, but because I give you so much value on the free side, I often forget about the paid side. Right. So here's, this is what we offer and you give them whatever your your main products are, but it just asking even in that email, Mm -hmm. be surprised how many people like boom, buy. There's a lot of conversions off of that one email because you just asked, but you asked in a non salesy type way and it works. Yeah. 
So up, up until now, we've been talking a lot about kind of those evergreen funnels, the marketing funnels that are always there, are always running through. Um, I know you have a lot of experience with like launches, PLF, um, all the, it seems like everything's a PLF recently. Um, and maybe I'm just another course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I will admit they work so well. PLF, I, I do get upset when people take PLF at face value and just literally do the PLF formula. Like they don't understand that it's a jumping off point to put your own spin on it and that it's a strategy because people just keep doing the, okay, here are my three videos and fourth mm -hmm. and like, uh, you get tired of them after a while, but I, I kind of <laughs> derailed ourselves there. Um, but I was going to ask like, what do you see as kind of the difference between that launch style funnel and the evergreen funnel? Uh, especially when you don't have time to go in and tweak stuff ahead of time because you're doing everything in real time. Yeah. Um, well, launch mode is always interesting to me because it's like, I, and 90% of my clients, I build out the evergreen stuff mm -hmm. for. Um, you know, not saying that they don't do launches and things, but for me, launch, launch is always kind of like a high energy, high emergency, high, yeah. you know, like it's, it's like, Hey, we're dumping a bunch of money and we're going to get as many people into this thing as possible. And we're going to give them the juicy stuff so that they can sign up by Sunday. Um, and so for me, the thing that I find a lot of times is, is that, and this is what I talk to with my clients a lot is, is the reason why that works is because it's a numbers game. Like if you've got mm -hmm. a boatload of money to put up at the top of the funnel, yes, there's going to be some things falling through. And especially if your ad is good, that brings in those right kind of buyers, then yeah, it totally, that whole formula is just a math problem. Right? Mm -hmm. the, the cadence and everything. It's just a math. That's, there's no the reason why it's, it's PLF. It's because it's that F is formula, right? So right. it's just a math problem. But then they're like, okay, now we launched. Right. And we got to do it again next quarter. Right. Like we yeah. did whatever, a hundred grand or 200 grand or whatever it is. Right. And so we need to do it again. And then I always come in and I say, okay, so you just got a whole boatload of people in. Mm -hmm. Right. And this was a great one because you got 5% conversion. Now you have 95% mm -hmm. of those people that opted in. What are you doing with them? Right. Um, are so, you launch, you're launching the same thing to them in a right, quarter, right? Exactly. Like, so what I always try to do with that is then try to figure out how we can then not launch them next quarter, but how do we nurture them in a way that then makes total sense how they came in. They saw the ad, they saw the pitch, they saw all the bonuses they mm -hmm. missed on and all the rest of it. At the end of the, the next 30 days, they're still excited. They just, you know, timing wasn't right. Money wasn't right. Whatever the right. reason is, right? But they just didn't buy for whatever reason. Oftentimes, I find it's more timing than money. It's right. just like they just don't have the time. They saw the ad. It was interesting. It's a need that they have. They just don't. You know, I, I, I got other things going on. Right. I just don't Especially with courses, right? Because that's a, oh, it's a commitment. 100%. Yeah. And, and you don't want to buy something and let it sit there in, on your desktop or whatever. And like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that thing, right? Yeah. And so... So people don't buy, but now you have 95% of the people that were actually hot for you right now sitting there. And then you're just going to send them your Tuesday morning broadcast about your podcast or whatever. Like mm -hmm. that just doesn't make any sense. What I've built off of the back of those kind of launches is another 
different 30-day sequence that really piggybacks off of that. It's a more of a longer sales cycle. Mm -hmm. It's the same training, you know, language, everything that they've launched with, just longer. Right. Like these are just people that the timing wasn't right. And you can recoup 10, 15, 25% of that 95 that fell through within that th first 30 days yeah. just by doing that, just tailoring. And most of the time, these people have tons of content that is still related to everything that they just talked about for a week. Well, let's just give it to them. Yeah. And there's no reason why they can't. And then you could then, now you have grabbed those people. You've recouped a lot of your ad cost, you know? And then at that point in time, next quarter, you're not, oh, you, maybe you don't need one next quarter. <laughs> like right. You just, you pitch them. And the, the other thing too is, which is a really interesting little human psychology thing is because a lot of times in that launch sequence, they're like, hey, you're never going to see this deal again. Well, if you pitch them 30 days later with the same thing with a higher price point because that lower price point is, well, now you've already positioned yourself as not a liar. Right. <laughs> like you could position yourself as like if it was 50% off on the launch, well, you're getting 30% now and you saw that it was 50%. Mm -hmm. This is the lowest cost ever, right? And right. so you then go ahead and, and close the loop on that level too. So, you know, for me, it's launches are a different different beast because I look at the other side of the coin. Like I let the, you know, the company, the person, all of that, I'll write all of the, the mechanics and the technical mm -hmm. aspects of it out for them. But I let them put the energy into that. And then I'll think about everybody else that's coming through. Like right. you worry about your five percenters because that's a, a, a good launch, right? Mm -hmm. Like you get 5% conversion. That's good. That's huge. Yeah. Right. I'll worry about, the vast majority of the people that fall through the cracks and I want to recoup that. Right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's that for me, I always look at launches as a 30 day thing rather than the, the week and a half, two weeks. Oh yeah, definitely. PLF does. I mean, we find that the majority of sales happen the day the cart closes. And then also the next week and a half afterwards, when we do a reopen or we do a downsell or we do all the other stuff to, to kind of re-engage the people and maybe even just answer the questions of the people who were having problems that didn't want to buy, right? Mm -hmm. Like just having support ready when they call say, hey, I missed the sale, but X, Y, and Z, like, oh yeah, that's definitely doable and we can regain that sale, right? There's just, it, you, I think you're exactly right. It's almost always a timing problem. Mm -hmm. If they weren't interested in the product or the, the content, they wouldn't be on the list. Right. The hook, the hook is the ad, right? So like if it's, if you're selling marketing stuff or if you're selling, you know, life coaching or whatever you're selling, right? Mm -hmm. Like that ad and you got that email address, then they're interested. They're interested in it in a way that is enough for them to at least see what else you got. And then as they go through and, you know, you set up the mechanics in the way where you know that they've binge watched the, the videos, they've checked all the emails, they've clicked all the links, they saw the sales page, you know they're ready to buy. You know that person is probably willing to invest in whatever you're right. selling. Well, if they didn't buy, I would say ask, right? You right. Just send them an email. Why didn't you buy? What's going on? <laughs> you get a lot of information back. But when you do ask, you'll say, yeah, look, I was, I'm going away next month. 
Like I just don't have the time for this or I missed the window of opportunity because I was away at a long weekend up at the lake mm -hmm. or, you know, it's just always those sort of things. Whereas a lot of the business owners that I work with, they're like, maybe I should just lower my cost or maybe I should add a different bonus yeah. or like, I'm like, well, why don't we just ask right? mm -hmm. and find out from there? So, and I think that's, it goes back to a, a bigger topic that I always get a little bit frustrated with. It's that, and I do, I do this as well. It's looking at the people on my list as numbers instead of people. Right. And especially when you get up to the 50,000, hundred thousand, half a million size list, I think you, you start looking at things as a numbers game and not a people's game. And while that's good because you need to look at conversion rate and how things are flowing, you also have to look at, you have to have that psychological insight of why are people doing what they're doing, right? It's not enough to just say, oh, sales were bad. It's too expensive. Let's lower prices. It's like you're saying, timing's probably bad, or maybe there's other offers, or let's just go ask them. There's, I think a lot of marketers forget that the people receiving the emails are people. And absolutely. Yeah. And it's at scale, I understand. And it's, you can't, target everyone but it's like you still have to understand that they're people with their own lives going on and, and and to that point i had a client who decided to do a launch right when social media marketing world was up going on right so what happened was their audience was also a, a, a lot of people would go there mm -hmm. right so it was a conference that that was a real life thing that they lost, they didn't, they were like, why was the opt-in so low? Why was the views so low on the videos? Why everyone's at you know, the webinar? And so at that point in time, I was like, I was just trying to, I was like, I don't know. We've run this thing pretty consistently. We get pretty consistent numbers. I don't know. There's gotta be something going on. So I just happened to open up the calendar and uh, I saw on Twitter the you know, the, the hashtag and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I'm like, that's why but yeah. that goes along with the people right like it's like there are humans on the other end of it and yes while it's a math problem where we think we could just turn on a switch and like the thing will just flow and all the numbers will work themselves yeah. out well the human element there and that goes back to what i was saying before about motivation intention understanding the behavior of the person mm -hmm. um you know if this is a person that's going to go to a conference that is at the exact same time as your launch then well maybe postpone the launch a week right yeah. so yeah or, about these things. and that's why i think it's important to also be on your competitors lists right so understand when they're launching because especially if you're into marketing you can tell a good month or so if they know what they're doing when they're going to start ramping up for that launch and make Absolutely. sure that that you're not going to live at the same time they are right mm -hmm. and make sure that if you have affiliates that everyone's schedules align and don't try to launch on black friday <laughs> like there's just so many yeah, like I, I mean that, that it it's funny like i i try to think outside the box sometimes with helping out my clients and myself too. Like, so like black Friday, cyber Monday, like, you know, people's inboxes are going to be obliterated with stuff. Mm -hmm. People are going to be on, they're going to have tabs open, refreshing for flash deals and mm -hmm. like so on and so forth. They're just not going to be paying attention to your thing. So I say, well, do an anti black Friday, right? Let's on Tuesday, the week before let's do something. Right. And so mm -hmm. like, you know, name it, business a Tuesday, right? Like just right. make it your own, right? And kind of think outside the box or do something that's completely out of the box, like Black Friday, right? So mm -hmm. like one of the things was, uh, you know, 
and this was just an experiment that I ran was like, Hey, this thing is now this price. And I raised it. And what happened was pro the week and a half prior to that, I said, Hey, my black Friday thing is coming. You know, this, this price is going to be affected on this product. Um, raised prices on black Friday. <laughs> right. So I raised <laughs> prices on black Friday, but I didn't tell them that I was going to raise prices until Wednesday. And I said, mm -hmm. look, you know, this is the final time you get to see this at this price. Um, and then boom, like a whole mm -hmm. bunch of people came in at that point in time. So that's awesome. Trying to think a little bit more about, you know, if you really want to stand out from the, the, the thing, like you said before, like tell a story, engage in a different way that's going to be interesting and then it doesn't become an ad, right? Like mm -hmm. it becomes shareable maybe or something like that. Like just if you're in the marketing and you're trying to do something that is in a crowded space, you kind of almost have to think five degrees to the left sometimes right. just to stand out. Yeah. I actually, I made a joke last year that, oh, we're going to ha start having Black Friday in September. And this year, my first Black Friday email was uh, first week of November. So yeah. people are starting to, and even we're doing, a, uh, we call it the three Black Friday sale. So uh, Friday before until Friday after we're doing our sale because people don't have time to shop on Black Friday anymore. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I it's interesting because I think Black Friday starting other than like going to Walmart for like the spectacle of it. I think that most people are like, I know the sales are going to be going on. I know there's going to be other sales. I don't have to go to a store to buy anything anymore. So I'm just going to wait for the Christmas sale or it's like the Christmas sale will be there two weeks before Christmas. It'll mm -hmm. get there in time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's funny you, you say that like my wife and my mother-in-law always go shopping on Black Friday. It's crazy. Like, but then like they go to the mall and all that and they get like the door buster deals and whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And she always told, you know, I'm like, you're nuts. Like the first time we started dating and she did that, I'm like, you, what are you crazy? Why would you do that? <laughs> right? And like, she always and never fails. She'll take a picture of the parking lot at the mall and it's dead. It's like totally empty. And she always comes back with good deals and things like that. Mm -hmm. But to your point last year, I wanted to buy a new monitor. Right. And so what happened was, I bought this nice 42 inch monitor, right? And things like that. And my wife and I were in this house now about two and a half years, right? Mm -hmm. And so we had our old TV from the apartment, which was also 42 inches, right? And mm -hmm. it kind of was, you know, let's, let's face it. I was saying it was small, right? For the room and all that. <laughs> right. So I wanted to get a bigger one. And so I had shopped around and I was like, okay, this is the TV that I want. I'm going to wait for Black Friday, right? And so... My wife and I discussed it a little bit and we're like, yeah, do we, I mean, this TV works. Like it doesn't, we don't really need to spend this money and we got Christmas and you know, my, my son's birthday is two days after Christmas. Like do we really need to spend a few hundred bucks on mm -hmm. the TV right now. Like we don't really need it. Right. And so went ahead. I said, look, I'm buying the monitor because I need that. My other monitor was going. So there was a legit reason for it. So I bought the monitor a week later, our TV went. The whole thing, like I'm watching TV and it looked like it was uh, like paint, like just the whole, all the colors melded together. It was like, oh, and the man. whole thing went, I'm like a week after Black Friday, even after Cyber Monday, like, come oh, on, man. like, are you kidding? So I was so annoyed and I was like, ah, just wait till the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, like I just took the, the old monitor, put the old 24 back and put the put 42 the old, back in the yeah. new monitor into there. And I was just like, but you're right. Like you could just wait right yeah. like and that's the same thing too is like a lot of these times with the funnels and and all the rest of it you're you're also training your 
viewers, right? So if they don't convert on the back, on the, yeah. on the front end, now they know that you do this thing. So and if this they're, is, they're with you enough, they're going to see it multiple times. Yeah. And this is why I always liked Ramit Sadie's uh, strategy of he never discounts. What he does is he opens up a product. You cannot buy his, um, you, you might be able to now, but his, his flagship products you used to not be able to buy mm-hmm. normally. You have to be in a launch or an evergreen funnel to buy it. Right. And so it made them special. And so there wasn't a, oh, I'm just going to wait until the, it's on sale again, right? Because you knew you weren't getting that until he opened it up again. Right. And yeah. that type of scarcity, I think everyone puts things on sale so much that sales have, it was like, um, what was it, J.C. Penny. I think, or Macy's, it was probably Macy's uh, recently had problems because they put everything on sale all the time. You go into a store, everything's on sale, right? So it doesn't matter anymore. Right. When, when all you're doing is selling and all you're doing is discounting, it no longer makes the product valuable and people are just going to wait for the cheapest value they can, not think, oh, I really got to grab this now. Just like with your TV, it's like, oh, I missed Black Friday. Christmas is in two weeks and then Super Bowl's a month after that. Right. Like, these are prime TV buying seasons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sean D'Souza of Psychotactics does the same thing. Like he'll open up the, the window to, I think it's his community. Right? Mm-hmm. Like he'll tell you that he's got these other products and then he'll open up this limited seat window sort of thing for all the other products. But if you've bought the community first, then you get first dips. Yep. Like he'll, He'll, he'll send an email to his list the day before, and that'll be to the community members. And then you hope that the product is still available, right? right? And so he does it such limited seats that that product is never available to the public. So you kind right. of have to buy into his community when he opens that so that yep. then you could go ahead and get all the other things. So th- that whole FOMO scarcity yeah. model, um, I think works well as well too and i think you 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 end up training your audience um for good or bad right Mm -hmm. if you do it like sean or ramit and your audience knows when this goes out they've got 20 seats or 50 seats or however many it is and that thing's going to go like that Mm -hmm. then there's this scramble there's this i have to make that decision right now i can't sit on the fence because then it's going to be gone until who knows when Mm -hmm. and that's a good way to train your audience because it creates that uh that fear of missing out the converse of that is if you're always pitching and that's all you do and it's always sales, then everyone knows, oh, I'll just wait till the next one, right? So it removes, even though you're creating scarcity by having that discount, you're actually removing it through that long-term training, right? Mm-hmm. And it, half of it is understanding your audience and half of it is understanding ha- how you have trained your audience to react. There was a there was an interesting tweet I saw that said, um, "I bet when Pav when anyone rang a bell that Pavlov thought about feeding his dog, <laughs> right?" And <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah, it, yeah. And it's really true. It's it's the reverse. It's like you're you're creating the scarcity, but once you've done it multiple times, what is the overall message of your marketing that you're seeing? And it's very hard for the product owner, the product creator, to understand that, which is look at this through fresh eyes through someone right. who doesn't see all your marketing funnels and how does someone like that view your marketing exactly I, yeah I, I tell that a lot to my clients like pretend like you're first time coming through go mm-hmm. through your emails sign up 
get your free newsletter, your 10% discount. Like, how does all of that work? Go, go grab an alias or to an email and just put it in a folder and then read. Like, yep. pretend like you're a customer of this brand. Would you buy from them? Yeah. Or what is your perception? Do you think they're selling too much or are they not selling enough? Or, you know, and so it's interesting to when you put yourself on the other side of the table there, because what I tell a lot of my clients is like, you are training. So mm -hmm. to the effect of what your emails look like, what do your links look like? Are you only including one link? Are you including three? Right. Uh, it, your, your email format varies. Like, do they know that on Thursday they're going to be getting a roundup, you know, bunch of links of right. resources that are around the web versus your Monday email, which is always a video, right? right? Like they start to understand that sort of thing. And then if you change that and you change it at a drastic level where they actually enjoyed and those things were converting for you, well, why did, why they did don't know what to expect anymore. Down? Yeah. Right. And so. it's interesting because I actually started sending myself the emails um, because there's, it's one thing to read them in your, in your, um, in your email system. And it's like, cause you're reading them all in a block. Right. And so you don't understand the cadence that goes behind it. And I started sending them to myself. I just put myself every couple of months, I put myself in the beginning of the funnel and I just run through it and I make specific notes. I, I try to read every one, but I make notes about when I'm like, I really don't want to read this. And I'm wondering like, why didn't I want to read this? Or I read an email. And it's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of this email. I know I wrote it, like, but yeah. the mood that I'm in right now with the, the cadence of being busy every day and this just popped into my inbox, I now have a different relationship with it than when I was in a Google Doc writing it. Yeah, right? And that's, that I think is valuable. It's like when they say with SaaS products, you need to sign up for your product every month to check that onboarding flow. A, make sure it works. B, make sure that it's, it's still viable, that it's the best it can be. Same with your email funnel. Yeah, and, and to that point, to that next level is, is where are they reading it? Are they reading yeah. it on their desktop? Are they reading it on their phone, right? Because like a lot of my e-commerce clients, did like 70 plus percent of their viewership on their web is mobile. Right? Mm -hmm. like it's just people are shopping on their phones now or iPads or something of that nature. So don't write long form email, right? Because yeah. if you're writing long form email, there's a good chance if they're looking on their phone, there's going to be a notice, right? That comes in and pops in. And if that notice is a text message or Instagram post or mm -hmm. who knows what, they're going to click that and your email's gone, right? So yep. get to the point, pretty concise, especially, and this is where the analytics side of things goes in, understanding what your viewerships are doing. Like what, what are the subscribers doing on your website versus, you know, just assuming what they're doing. Yeah. Like, like you said, Google Docs looks very much different than Gmail, right? right? Like what does it look like in Gmail? Is this a big wall of text, even though that it might be just, you know, nicely formatted and spaced out right. in Google Docs, you know? So you have to really kind of do, I, I love that you do that because I encourage anybody to put themselves through their own funnels to make sure that, you know, it makes sense. Links work. Things look good. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do the same thing. And to this day, like, I know I have to fix a logo on a page. Like, <laughs> when, I, when I tested yep. it, like the logo was all wonky. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, this, I'm like, how many people saw this now? Like, and then it just, it's, you know, you got to take pride in, in, in that, you know, in what yeah. you, what and, you're sending out. Yeah. And you can't let it get to you that every time you go through it, something else is going to be wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, first book I wrote, 
I must have edited that thing 80 times because um, I was stupid and I edited it myself. And, <laughs> but every time I went through it, I found something else. And I'm like, cheeb, like just man, oh man. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. No, I was just, I was just saying, like, you do have to validate, like, get another pair of eyes. Like, right now, what I noticed is for a client, I guess this is a change in Gmail that I always, like, I always alias, right? Like, mm -hmm. Jason plus whatever at my email, right? And so I've always done that for years now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, Jason plus highly engaged, Jason plus no engagement, right? right? And I put people, put those through the funnel and take action just to make sure that the, the, the sequence and automation and tagging and all the rest of it worked. Well, I noticed last week that, well, I put four subscribers through a funnel, all different stage. All of a sudden, after the first two emails, I was only getting one, hmm. just deliverable to one. I'm like, well, what the heck is going on here? I found out that Gmail, the way that it, it now works is that if they see that there's the same email that's happening at a certain period of time, mm -hmm. uh, even though it's an alias, they're actually saying, okay, this is the same email address. And they're and just the dumping same. it. So I don't know that they're dumping it. They're just kind of like merging it because on the other side of things, it says it was delivered. Right? Oh, wow. and so, so for me, it's like, oh, that's awesome. So <laughs> Gmail, I mean, I get why they do that because right. Gmail is basically saying, why are we going to flood this person's inbox? Because it's the same email. It's the same, it's literally the right. same content and it's the same email address. It's just aliased. So, but for me as a tester, it's hard for me now to test. So right. I have my wife going through one of my funnels that I'm testing. So I'm always like every hour I'm like, okay, I got to go, go check. Go your check phone. That one. <laughs> and so, but the thing is, it's like, she has a different phone. She has a different desktop right. and all that. So now I'm actually, I'm like, Oh yeah, that doesn't look good on this phone. So yeah. now I could go adjust it and change that way. As soon as someone can do mobile responsive emails where it will take out parts of the email. If you're on a mobile device, I think it's going to print so much money. Like, can you imagine being able to write long form emails for desktop and then have it condensed down and like only specific CTAs and stuff for mobile? That'd be uh, pretty, It'd be pretty really nice. Yeah, It'd yeah. be really nice. <laughs> awesome. Jason, well, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to talk with me today. I've so many more things I want to uh, ask and talk to you about, but uh, I do want to be conscious of your time. Uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more? Sure. Uh, I'm at Rez on Twitter. That's Rez with three Zs and mm -hmm. uh, Rez.com as well. Sounds good. And we'll link those in the show notes as well. All right. Awesome. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Keith. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Take care. Thanks. All right. Awesome. That went fun. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to get into... Um, I, I looked at the time. I was like, oh man, we've been talking a while. Um, but I want to get into like the, some of the touch points and stuff that you, that you generally use as like your, Hey, this is how we measure engagement. Cause I think that'd be really cool to talk about at some point. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's like, it's, <laughs> it's funny because one of the things that I do with that lead scoring is the call to action in the email. Mm -hmm. right? And so if we're doing a training and it links out to a video, but also there's other links in there in the mm -hmm. content, right? But it's not the actual call to action. Then I weight that differently. 
right? right. And you, it's right. usually just based it's so that I can gather information on the segmentation lead score. Right. And so just because so it's, it's all clicking, clicking those call to actions and each and one weighted on a different, um, different kind of property scale, right? So exactly. freelancer versus designer slash whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, not, not, even to, not even to that, right? So to the point of like, like, which is fresh in my mind because I'm working on it right now is, is like, I have a client who, uh, their audience is guitarists and he sells courses. He sells a membership site and he sells workshops and all that teaching oh, cool. guitar. Right? Which, which so, one is it? Uh, the, the Guitar Institute. What, what's the owner's name? Uh, Jeffrey Gundy. Oh, I think he's on our, I think he's a customer is for it? Psychmetrics. I think yeah. so. That name sounds really familiar. Ian McIntosh have... is the guy that actually runs all the things. Kundi okay. is the actual talent. I'll check. Because we, we have four guitar people on Psychmetrics right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to ask. Because they came to me because he was Infusionsoft. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he's moved over to ConvertKit. And so oh, nice. That was one of the things that I helped them with. But... He really wanted the, the longer term stuff because yeah. he was always product launch formula. And he was like, look, I'm, I have I got a list of 80,000 people here. And like, it's just not, we don't do anything with it. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but like in, in that case is that he's got several different lead magnets. He's got lead magnets for people that are looking for production stuff. So like mm -hmm. studio work and all that. He's got people looking for technique and he's got people looking for tone. So each email we have a, like a, like a category, like this, mm -hmm. this email, the content and the training and the link, the call to action is for tone. But then just because of the content, like, okay, if we mention the word hands, well, we'll link that out to a technique. Article, yeah. Right. And so that email in and of itself, the main call to actions, we wait at two, two points. Right. The other alternative ones, we wait one, but then it allows us to give some sort of personalized bridge and pitch sequence that says, okay, well, I know you're a technique person because you mm -hmm. click all the technique stuff. You really right. haven't even paid attention to tone and so on and so forth. So that's, that's where that rubric comes in with is like a little bit of a science and I work with my clients he pretty heavily on that to make mm -hmm. sure that it makes sense for them because they do know the business. Uh, so it's my assumption saying, okay, this is, this is the formula that I use. Um, let's just, run with it see how it works and we can always change and tweak things later but uh this is it, it's funny and it's really interesting to watch as people go through how many times they click the ancillary stuff and not the actual main call to action like, <laughs> what it's okay it is what it is maybe we need to change some things up but uh yeah that's awesome the touch, the touch point stuff um I, I always try to build out a lead scoring that makes sense and if they mm -hmm. check out a sales page it's like five points you know, that sort of stuff. Right, right. So there's there's those other things, especially like, and this is totally getting into geekdom, but like, you know, when you're like linking things like Wistia that does time tracking on videos mm -hmm. and all the rest of it, like you can really make these things really custom and all that stuff. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. It's awesome. fun stuff. Yeah, the, the measuring of that is what I'm really into right now and I'm trying to, yeah, there's just so there's just so much. It's just such a deep rabbit hole once you start going. Like it seems so simple on the top level, and then as soon as you start going into that rabbit hole of like, well, that now they're interested in the harmonic side of things, right? And how much, how interested are they? How much interested are they in the technique side, right? And like judging all that, it's, it's crazy fun. Yeah, yeah. Ian was like when he first came in 
and we first started having our first couple of meetings, he was totally going down that rabbit hole. So like, <laughs> how custom? I'm like, dude, we need to just get the basics. Just up. get the Let's top level, and yeah, you build yeah. down, right? Yeah, exactly. Let's find exactly. out what happens. So. Awesome, awesome. This is this is right. great. Yeah, it's super fun. So I will, a um, little bit of housekeeping, I will send you an email before it goes live. Uh, we'll tweet it out. We we do a um, release once every two weeks so that we're continually promoting it during those two weeks. Um, okay. And yeah, and I think that's it. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely share it, share it around and all that rest of it when it comes out. Sounds good, man. All right, thanks all right. again. Have a good one. Talk soon. You too. Bye. Bye.